Thanks, Grant. Good morning, church family. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. This picture is a picture of one of my favorite meals of all time. Not because this cheap brat is the best food that I've ever had, but because this reminds me of one of the greatest experiences with God that I have ever had. Those of you who have been here for a couple of years, this is going to be a little bit of a repeat for you. We're kind of at that stage together as a congregation now, right, where I've been pastoring you for long enough that if you're here, you're going to hear some repeats. But if you're new, this will be new to you. Three years ago, I went on a sabbatical, a three-month sabbatical. Our elders granted that to me to go get some rest and to spend some time with the Lord and do some soul work. And my first my first thing to do on sabbatical was to go and get away and have some silence and solitude with God. And so I went up to this hermitage, this place in the woods where I go to do this, and I was planning to pray and fast and get right with God because that's the holy thing to do, Right? If you're going to go on a silence and solitude retreat, you should pray and fast. That's what serious Christians do. That's how you meet God. And so I pulled into this place. I lit a fire. I went down to the dock. I was sitting there, and I'm looking at the fire, and I felt like I heard God say, Andrew, what do you want? And I was like, I want to cook a brat over that fire. I don't want to fast. And I felt unholy, and and I felt like God said, well, then let's do that together. So I drove to town, got a gas station brought, brought it back, put it over the fire, and this was one of my favorite meals. And for the next three days, I feasted with God. I had so much fun and such this relational connection with God the Father. And I tell you that because there's this tension in us, especially if you've been around the church for a period of time, between like eating and fasting The elders have called our church family to pray and fast for the month of February. I don't know what your relationship with fasting is like, what it has been over the years, but there's this like spiritual elevation oftentimes of fasting. And it's a biblical thing. We're called in scripture to fast, to give up food, to give up other things. We'll talk more about fasting this morning. It is a biblical thing. But there's also a biblical call to feasting, and so we feel this tension. And so today we're going to talk about the tension of fasting and feasting. That's where we're going this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand as we look at Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. Luke 22, 14 through 20. Let's take a moment of silence and listen to the pages. And Lord, as we open up your word this morning, as we're going to be flipping all over the place, I pray that you would stir in each one of us a greater affection for you. Lord, I pray that this would be less about the right balance of fasting and feasting. I pray that as we look at it, that it would just stir us to find our satisfaction in you and you alone. So meet us where we're at this morning, Lord Jesus. All right, Luke 22, starting in verse 14, it says, And when the hour came, he, being Jesus, reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. You may have a seat. In this famous passage, which we celebrate here every week at Park Community Church, Jesus is sitting with the disciples in the upper room. And I love the language here. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. Jesus has this relational longing to connect with his followers over a meal, over a feast. Passover is one of the seven feasts that the Jews would regularly and annually celebrate. They, they would gather often to feast together. And Jesus here says, I earnestly desire to feast with you. This meal, our being together, is a holy activity. It's a sacred space. And then he says, look at verse 16, he says, For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he takes the cup and, and he blesses that and, and he says, Divide it among yourselves. And then he says in verse 18, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of its fruits of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so in this very passage, we see this, this tension of feasting and fasting. Jesus is with the disciples. They are feasting together of the Passover meal, the Passover celebration and feast, and then Jesus is going to go and be crucified. And he says that as he ascends back into heaven, he's going to fast. He's going to abstain from the Passover celebration, the Passover feast, until the kingdom has been brought into fullness. There's this tension here between feasting and fasting. It's a both and, not an either or. And that's obvious, right? Because if you fast too long, you die. And if you feast too much, you die as well. And so we know that there's a tension, right? We don't always eat and we don't never eat. But when we think about feasting and fasting, we need to think a little bit more spiritually and holistically about these two activities. Because I think we oftentimes will over-spiritualize one and we under-spiritualize the next, how many of you, when you ate your little granola bar on the way into church this morning, thought, this is a holy feast in the presence of God with whoever's in my car and I am worshiping and celebrating? Or was it just necessity, right? You just threw it in because that's what you do. And so there's this, there's this over-spiritualizing to fasting that tends to happen and this under-spiritualizing of feasting that tends to happen. And this morning, I want to engage that tension. As we approach Lent and as our church, well, we're, we're there already, right? Ash Wednesday happened on Valentine's Day. And many people will do various fasts during the Lenten season as we head to Easter. Whether you are or not, I, that doesn't really matter. But many of you are doing some kind of fasting as we are asking you to as we pray and think about our church building. Whether you are not, that doesn't matter. But what I want us to do is to consider these spiritual practices and disciplines and see how they will help us to grow and to think whole, more holistically about them. So this morning, the questions that I want to ask are, what are the biblical fasts and feasts? What is their purpose? And what are their ditches? First of all, let's talk about the ditch, the ditch of fasting. And the ditch of fasting involves disordered eating and diet culture. Now, I say disordered eating instead of eating disorders because there are eating disorders. And there's also just disordered eating, people who just struggle like complicated relationship with food. And sometimes we can use the spiritual call to fast. It, it, it interacts with our disordered eating or our eating disorders in really unhealthy and unhelpful ways. And sometimes the church, when we call people to fast and we talk about fasting, we don't even consider that. There's no sensitivity. There's no 
acknowledgement. There's no awareness of the complicated relationship that human beings in this fallen world have with food. And then we have diet culture, right? Like, and it's just, it can wreak havoc on the human mind and soul. Even as we're trying to do a spiritual fast, we can fall into the ditch of fasting and it can create disordered eating or diet culture and affect us. We, have, we have, all have nuanced nutritional needs, right? Every body is composed differently. We all need different levels of protein and carbohydrates and water. And it, it's just depending on your blood sugar levels and how your body works. We all have different needs. And so if you just jump into the, like someone said, hey, I got a fast. And some people need to do a juice fast. Some people need to do a fast with some protein. Some people need more water than others. Like there's just, you can't just jump in and say, I'm going to give up food because that's the spiritual holy thing to do. There's spiritual pride and superiority. (laughs) We're not going to get through the sermon today if I keep thinking of verses off the top of my head. But I want you to flip a couple pages to the left to Luke chapter 18. And just see spiritual pride and superiority coming out around fasting. In Luke chapter 18, verse 11. Uh, no, sorry, verse 9. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. And in the first century, Pharisees were the religious elite. They were the holy ones. They were, they were religiously superior, and tax collectors were looked down upon. They were sinners. They were castaways. Verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. See the, the spiritual pride and superiority? This is a parable that Jesus is giving to say, even as we think about fasting for spiritual reasons, we have to be careful because it can create spiritual pride and superiority and judgment of others. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector who simply said, God, be merciful to me, didn't give a dime that we know of, didn't do any fast. He just knew his neediness. That's it. Jesus says, verse 14, I tell you that this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so we have to even be careful as we talk about fasting because it's a way that sometimes it, it elevates our pride, it exalts our pride, it, 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 it feeds spiritual pride and superiority. There's also spiritual abuse and manipulation. So many, I think, well-intentioned pastors, churches, movements, will use things like fasting and spiritual disciplines to manipulate people, to to abuse people, to exert their religious power and authority or, or knowledge or practice, whatever. Some of you have probably experienced this. This is the ditch of fasting. Spiritual bypassing, sometimes we can bypass like the physical by saying, oh, just spiritual. We just got to pray and fast, pray and fast, pray and fast, pray and fast. And it's like, actually, you might need to eat. Your sickness might be because of a lack of nutrients. Maybe you need sleep. 
not to stay up and do an all-night prayer vigil, right? So these are some of the tensions that we experience, and this can be the ditch of fasting. Or asceticism, this was in the first century, they used this word asceticism, it meant that we don't touch, we don't see, we don't look, we don't taste, we don't, we don't handle these things because it makes us more holy and set apart. And so this is the ditch of fasting. But what about the ditch of feasting? There's also a ditch there, right? Disordered eating, Right? Unhealthy relationship with food, we can have that on the other side. Nuanced nutritional needs, that applies here as well. Taking God's provision for granted. I think many of us, not all of us, but many of us, we don't have a food insecurity. Many people in our communities do. It's here, it's present. But also many of us in America don't. Like we We can get food pretty easily. It's pretty prevalent. And so we can take it for granted. It's like, what do you mean the fridge is empty? Go to Aldi. Instacart. Pull up your phone. Order some food. It'll be here. And so we can begin to take God's provision for granted. Gluttony, or I put in parentheses, lack of self-control, because I'm not sure if they're different. I think the lack of the fruit of the spirit of self-control probably is what gluttony is. Uh, we can become lulled to spiritual, into spiritual lethargy or sleep. We're just eating without thinking, eating too much. It, it could be like eating too much. The ditch of fasting could just be overconsumption, or it could just be eating without intentionality, right? And we do it because that's what you do. Like, oh, it's noon. I better go get lunch. And so part of the reason to fast is to just even notice, what are our patterns? Why am I eating? And then the last bullet point here is enjoyment, enslavement, uh, enjoyment, entitlement, enslavement. And uh, this is, I'll talk about this a little bit as we go on, but I've noticed that God has so many good gifts that he's given to us, his people, to bless us, to, to make glad the heart of man and woman. And we can enjoy those good gifts. But if we're not careful, we begin to enjoy those good gifts without intentionality. We begin to feel entitled to those good gifts. And that entitlement can lead to enslavement, where I have to have this thing. I deserve this thing. I've earned this thing. I've, it, this thing has a grip on me. And so those are the two ditches of fasting and feasting. Now, what is fasting? Here's a definition of fasting. It is the practice of giving something up, food historically, for a period of time to focus on the spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental health of yourself and others. It's the act of giving up something external and physical with the hopes of gaining something internal and spiritual. And I say food historically because in the scriptures and throughout many different cultures, Christians aren't the only religion and the only culture and the only worldview or just the only people that fast. There's fasting throughout different cultures, different religions, different worldviews, because there's, there's some health benefits actually to fasting. But historically, in scripture, biblically in scripture, it was primarily giving up food. However, I think in our current modern culture, Fasting from media, fasting from, add in a bunch of other things, fasting from substances like caffeine. I just saw a coffee cup go up, that was perfectly timed. (laughs) So fasting from different things is a really valid way to fast. This was written thousands of years ago when, as far as we know, people didn't have a smartphone in their pocket. I think if the Bible is written today, I'm pretty confident that there would be some inclusion of fasting from media. 
Because the, the point of a fast, it's not to lose weight. It's not to feel better about yourself. It's not to prove to yourself that you have self-discipline and control. It's to feed your soul's hunger for God. And sometimes that can be with food. Sometimes that can be with removing other things. And so I say it's, it's food historically, but I do want to just validate and acknowledge that giving up other things that aren't food is a really good option. And for some people, that might be a better option based off of if you have a medical condition, based off of if you have a history with eating disorder or body image issues. Um, if, if, if giving up food and fasting from food is causing you to perpetually miss opportunities to connect with other people and share a meal and build community, sometimes fasting from other things is, is valid and good. And so that's what I mean by food historically. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. Fasting helps in all of these areas. We are holistic beings. Body, mind, spirit, soul. They're all interconnected. And so sometimes giving up food for a period of time can actually help. Like sometimes people get really down on themselves about fasting from food with like a mixed motive to get healthier and to lose weight. I think that could actually be a fine and acceptable thing because our, our body and our soul, like sometimes if we're not doing well physically, that will impact how we're doing spiritually. If we're not doing well spiritually, that will impact how we're doing physically. Like they're, they're connected and they're related so sometimes the, the, the spiritual discipline might be like, well, actually, for this day or this week, I'm going to feast less and I'm going to fast more. Other times, the spiritual discipline might be like, I'm going to eat more, but with people. I'm not going to eat alone and in silence and in isolation because that's what I do when I'm depressed and sad and lonely. And so maybe God is actually calling me to the spiritual discipline of feasting with other people to build community. And so it's just, it's nuance, right? There's, there's different ways to think about this, but I do want us to know and keep in mind that the spiritual, the physical, the mental, the emotional, they're all interrelated and connected. We can't just separate these things out and say, I'm fasting purely for spiritual reasons because it will have physical implications. Even if, if you're fasting from social media, that's going to have positive effect on your mental health. Your brain health is going to, to be affected by your spiritual discipline. And so they work together. And then lastly, just on this definition, yourself and others, a true biblical fast isn't purely inward and self-focused. It's not just about you and God. It's concerned with you and God and your, your posture, your relationship, your soul with God, but it typically has others in mind. It's either a communal thing in Scripture, there were a lot of communal fasts. And so it's something that we do together, or you're doing it on behalf of another person. One of my, one of my good friends had a really significant physical injury years ago, and he called a group of us together, and, and he, he was on some meds to deal with the pain, and so it wasn't right or wise for him to fast. He just, you know, he had to listen to the medical professionals in that season. Like, no, you need food. It has to balance out these meds that you're taking. So he called a group of his friends and said, would you guys pray and fast for me? I can't fast, but would you fast for me? And so there's this, this other's focus in fasting as well. It's not purely selfish. And so I want to talk now. I want Well, we've got a lot of scripture. Um, we're going to do a holy flip real quick and just see fasting in the scriptures. All right, so let's look at uh, fasting. It is beneficials for follower of, followers of Jesus. 
right? I want to look at some of this. Uh, it's beneficial for followers of Jesus because it's a historic and assumed biblical practice. Look at Matthew chapter 6. And I have the page numbers on there if you're using a pew Bible. We're going to we're gonna do a ton of scripture this morning, so we're going to be flipping all over the place. Hopefully you can get there quickly. If not, don't worry about it. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Jesus, speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, And when you fast. Notice that he doesn't say, if you fast. If that's one of the spiritual practices that you decide to do, he just assumes. It, it's an assumed biblical practice. Most people fasted in the biblical times. Many people fasted twice a week. But don't do it like the, the Pharisee that Jesus already called out, right? I fast twice a week. I'm glad I'm not like that guy who doesn't. Nope. This is just a normal biblical assumed practice. He says, when you fast, and he gets to the heart here, he says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. It's like they're showing off their religious superiority and their religious discipline by letting others know that they're fasting. Now, that's different than doing a church-wide fast where it's like, yeah, we're fasting together, right? They're, they're trying to impose their spiritual superiority on others. He says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Look normal. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's this intimacy between you and God that is a result of fasting. That's the heart of fasting. That's the desire of fasting. That God knows my heart, and I'm getting to know his heart more through this practice. Fasting, it can also help us fight against the world and the flesh and the devil as it heightens our sensitivity to God's word and will and way. Flip one page over to the left here, and we'll see Jesus fasting in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. Makes sense. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands he will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Fasting is not a way to test God. It's a way to commune with God. That's part of the spiritual abuse and spiritual bypassing sometimes that happens. It's like, oh, I can just fast and pray. And, and God, like, we, we make prayers and we're, we're like testing God. God, will you do this? And if I, if I discipline myself more on your behalf, then are you more likely to do the thing that I want you to do? And so Jesus is, is fasting here in order to fight the world, his own flesh, Jesus, God in flesh, a man. It says he was hungry. Jesus had physical hunger pains. He got hungry and thirsty, just like you and I. But he's fasting in order to heighten his sensitivity to God's word, will, and ways. And, and verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. 
Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. We see in Jesus how he's using this spiritual discipline to help fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil in order to heighten his sensitivity to, to God's word. No, this is what God has said. Jesus was sharp. His senses were sharp. Sometimes when we're not fasting, and again, this could be food, this could be media, this could be other things, we, it's hard to keep a sober mind. If you're a news junkie, it's hard to have a sober mind. And the Bible calls you to be sober-minded. So some of you might need to give up news for 40 days so that you can have a clear mind, you can be more sensitive to God's will, to God's word, and to God's way. Some of us, we, like some of the toxins in our food and our drinks, that might be affecting the ability of our mind to, to think soberly. And so it might be good to give them up for a while and, and to say, man, if I, if I give this up, if I change this habit, if I, if I rearrange some of these things in my life, maybe I'll have an increased sensitivity to who God is, to hear his voice, to know his word, to know what his will is for me and to know his way, just like Jesus. We're called to imitate Jesus. And here Jesus gives us an example. Now, I would say don't read this passage and think that you're going to go fast from food for 40 days like Jesus, really dangerous. We do this in community with partners, with people who can help us and think through this. But here's the point. Here's why we do it, to heighten our sensitivity to God's will, word, and ways. Another reason that we do this is because it afflicts our flesh and aligns our soul to God. Afflicts our flesh and aligns our soul to God. Flip over to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23 is all about feasts, except for this one little section where the people of God are called to fast. So it's a tension here, right? Feasts and fasts. We're going to talk about feasting in a minute as we close down the sermon because that, that one um, probably doesn't need as much talk because we do more eating than we do fasting, I think. Uh, but I do want us to feast, to eat in a more spiritual, God-honoring, life-giving way. Amen? We'll talk about that as we close down. But here in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, God is calling his people to fast. Look at verse 26. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves. You shall fast. You shall abstain. You shall say no. We live in an instant gratification. I don't like saying no to myself. I don't like it when other people say no to me. Many of you don't like saying no to yourself, and you don't like other people saying no to you. And this is God inviting us into the space where it's like, sometimes it's really good for you to say no to even good things, right? This passage is in the midst of these feasts, and God has said, I've given you these feasts for your joy. But in the midst of it, don't fall into the ditch of feasting. It's good to say no to yourself. He says, afflict yourselves, which means fast, like your body's going to feel hungry and tired and hangry. And, and there's this level of discipline in your body, afflicting yourselves. It says, and present a food offering to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, you abstain from food and then bring me an offering. There's the spiritual thing at play with the physical. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is the day of atonement. 
to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among the people. You shall not do any work. It is a statue forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourself. This is the, the call here, to embrace some kind of physical affliction so that your body, your mind, your soul would be more aligned to God. It's a way to implore God to speak and to act. Look at Ezra chapter 8. Things happen in life where we're just confused, right? We don't know what God wants. We don't know what we're supposed to do. Maybe we're in a dark night of the soul. And one of the biblical practices in those places is to fast. Here in Ezra, the, the people of God, they've been dragged away into exile in Babylon, and now they're about to return to their holy city, Jerusalem. And they call for a fast. Ezra chapter 8, verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Hava, that we might humble ourselves before our God. Fasting is a way to, to in humility, come before God and to even feel the mortality of our bodies and to feel the humility of our bodies and, and how our bodies are subjected to the law of God, that he created our bodies to live by nourishment and by water. And so as we feel our body, it's like, oh, that's right. I am, I am bound to the laws of nature that God created. So we humble ourselves before God to seek him for a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all of our goods. This is the, the people of Israel heading back to, to Jerusalem. And they're fasting saying, God, would you give us a safe journey? Would you watch over us? Would you protect us? Verse 22. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. I love the humanity of this. Right? Like, ah, I don't want to ask the king to protect us. Why? Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So they have told this pagan God that this pagan ruler, this pagan nation, that our God, Yahweh, he protects us. And so now they're like, well, but if we ask them to protect us, then they're going to be like, well, I thought your God protected you. And so they're like, well, well, we can't ask the king to protect us. Let's fast and ask God to protect us. Verse 23, so we fasted and implored our God for this. And he listened. And again, we have to be careful that we're not spiritually, spiritually manipulating others or God with us, Right? This came from a place of humility, right? They're just in a, they're, they're, they're stuck in a hard place. They don't know what to do. They're like, well, we're worried about the travel home and, and we don't want to give um, our pagan nation that we've been living in a reason to doubt God's ability to protect his people. What should we do? Let's fast. They're not like trying to rub, you know, the, the, the genie bottle that is God. Like, here's how we can manipulate God by fasting and he's going to give us what, it's, it's just this, like, we're at the end of, we don't know what else to do. Let's pray and fast and implore God. Would you help us? Would you protect us? And he responds, he listens. Fasting also helps guide our repenting and lamenting. Look at Nehemiah, it's just a couple pages to the right. Again, in Nehemiah, it's the people returning back to Israel. They are going to rebuild the wall of Israel. They, they've gotten word that the, 
the protective wall of Israel has been torn down. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, when Nehemiah the prophet hears this, he says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before God of heaven. His, his, his lamenting the sin of his people and the re- result of sin of his people is to mourn and to fast. That's a way that he repents and laments the effects of sin. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9. A couple more pages to the right. It says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled. And there's this communal assemb- assembling with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. If some of you went to an Ash Wednesday service and you got the dust on your head from dust you came and to dust you shall return, like it's an old ancient tradition. This morning, this being reminded of more, our mortality, fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. I'd like to just pause there for a moment. If you think my sermons get long... And we're looking at a lot of scripture this morning, like, oh, it's 10 o'clock. Or we gotta... <laughs> they did it for a quarter of a day. So I will, I will do one better. We'll do an eighth of the day here this morning. Now, see, they're, they're gathered. They're, they're fasting in sackcloth and ashes, and they're reading the word of God, and they're confessing their sins. Fasting helps to shape our repenting and our lamenting. We're not done yet, people. Well, keep moving. It can bring clarity for decision-making. So in Acts chapter 13, I'm, I'm not going to flip there. If you want to flip there, you can. If you want to just write these down and look at them later, you can. For time's sake, I'm not going to flip to all these. But in Acts chapter 13, the, the church is trying to figure out what to do, where to send missionaries, how to, how to go about it. And it says that as they worshiped and fasted, that God told them what to do. They, were, they, were, they, were, they couldn't figure it out. And so that's part of even asking you to pray and fast about the building decision. We're not trying to manipulate God, and we're not trying to get you to see it our way, my way, or the elder's way. We don't even have a way. We're like, we don't know what to do. We're, we're just between a rock and a hard place. God, we don't know what to do. And so we see fasting and prayer in the Old Testament. When, when, when you don't know what to do, pray and fast. In the New Testament, when you don't know what to do, where you're not sure what, what God's will is or God's way is, pray and fast. And at the end of the day, sometimes here's how it works, church family. At the end of the day, God might say, oh, you can do whatever you want. That's fine. Sometimes he gives you a very specific answer. Do this, don't do that. Other times, we have some options with her building right now. Five options. My biggest heart and prayer is that our church would be unified in whatever we do. At the end of the day, God might be like, I don't care which option you do. Just do it and trust me. It's just a building. My spirit will, right? Sometimes we can over-spiritualize things. And so we, we pray and we ask God, God, show us what to do. Is it option A, B, C, D, E? Or is it all the above? Just love each other. So who knows? We'll find out. Uh, fasting helps protect us against becoming enslaved by what we enjoy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 
6, it's about sexual immorality here, but there's this verse, we got to flip there because I don't want to get this one wrong. I don't want to get any of the other ones wrong either, actually, but I knew the other one better. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, of course, this is the one passage that I didn't have a little sticky note to get there quickly on. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, God is calling through the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. He's calling the people to flee from sexual immorality. And he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And so fasting can be a way to help us from becoming enslaved or dominated by even the good gifts of God. Maybe that means fasting from sex. Maybe that means fasting from social media. Maybe that means fasting from food. Maybe that means fasting from alcohol. Maybe that means fasting from sugar. Maybe that means fasting from whatever it is, fill in the blank. What are you being dominated by or mastered by that might be having negative effects on your soul? And so we're called to not be mastered or enslaved by these things. And so giving them up for a season may help. Fasting is a way for us, it reveals our worldliness and it renews our hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Church family, here's, here's what I experienced this morning as we were singing one of the songs. We sang this line, I will wait for you, I will wait for you till my soul is satisfied. And I realized far too often, I don't wait long enough for God I settle for the satisfaction of my flesh. I'm lonely. I'm tired. I'm, I, I sense God is distant. Have a plate of nachos. Did I eat? Am I eating because I'm hungry? Am I actually eating because my body feels hungry? Or am, am I using a good gift of God in a way where it's not developing this hunger and thirst for God himself? So that's part of the positive effect of fasting. And then ultimately, it grows our hunger for the eternal feast yet to come. We haven't touched on feasting yet, and sermon time is over. So I'm going to do feasting real quick. Here's what feasting means. I was like, do I save it for next week? Nope, we're just going to do it real quick because I want to invite you to the table with feasting in mind. It's not this or that, but I want you to come to the table this morning with feasting in mind. Feasting is the practice of eating with a conscious awareness and embrace of the presence of God, self, and others. It's a celebration of God's character, blessing, provision, grace, promises, etc., with the community he surrounds us with and grows us in. We're called to eat with one another in a spiritual manner, not just because that's what you do in the morning, midday, and at night to stir our soul's affections for God and one another. Feasting is beneficial for all followers of Jesus because it's a historic and commanded biblical practice. Just like fasting, it's this historic practice. And, and, and there's certain fasts commanded or called for in the scriptures, but not necessarily commanded in the same way that feasts are commanded. God commands his people to eat together, to feast together. There's seven holy feasts in the Old Testament that God commanded. We feast together because it's a way to celebrate and remember God's promises, protection, and provision. It's a way for us to create and celebrate community. 
what better way to, to create friendships, meaningful friendships, and to build community than over a meal? A long, lingering meal where there's laughter and crying, where there's shared enjoyment around food. That's the role of fasting. And then finally, we fast because it sets our eyes on the eternal hope and celebration that is promised for all of those in Christ Jesus. And so I want to invite you to the table this morning at Park Community Church as a little symbol, a little sign of the feasting that God calls us to with one another in community. This meal represents that meal that we began by reading about where Jesus was with the disciples. And he said, I earnestly desire to eat this meal with you. Then he gives them the bread, he gives them the wine, and he says, I'm abstaining from this until you're with me in paradise, but I want you to eat it. As long as you're on earth together, eat it to remember me and to see one another. And so this morning, I want to invite you to the table with these words from Isaiah chapter 25. Listen to this invitation from God, this reminder about what we have to look forward to. Isaiah 25, verse 6 through 9. says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. I don't know what your covering is this morning. The black cloud, the addiction, the depression, the anxiety, the pride, the superiority, the, the complaint, the the giving into the cravings of the flesh. But here this passage is saying that God will swallow this all up, the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. This is a prophecy pointing us to the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus and then ultimately to his return, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. When it says that he will invite us to a feast with rich food and well-aged wine, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. He will remove the veil and we will be free. Amen, church family? That's what this meal is a reminder of. That God has removed the veil from our eyes. He has lifted the covering from our soul and he invites us to come and fellowship and worship together. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that you are eager to eat with us in the same way that you were eager to eat with the disciples in the upper room. Lord, as you are abstaining now and fasting and, and mourning and praying and lamenting our distance, our physical distance, you desire to be in our presence and, and you're here in spirit, but you're not here in body. And Lord, as, as you fast and abstain and pray for us, I pray that we would come to the table and to receive the meal that you've given for us as a reminder of your grace, your forgiveness, 
your presence with us. So Lord, I pray that you would nourish us now, Lord Jesus. Amen.